Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible class. It's great to be back together again, and we're so thankful for those who are tuning in and listening. We're thankful to be able to broadcast, that is, to teach on such a widespread basis God's Word over the medium of the Internet through the, the, through the means of these podcasts. Now, we know that there are people who are not able to get out very well, if at all, but they still want to be in God's Word. And so we're thankful to be able to provide Bible classes through these podcasts and that they can be broadcast literally all over the world through the medium of the Internet. We don't take that blessing and responsibility lightly. We want to really live up to it as God has put it before us. We know that also there are people in the Omaha area who are not able to get out. And if they were able, they would, some of them at least, would try to come and be with us and study with us in person. Well, we, again, we're thankful to be able to provide Bible study for you on a regular basis through these podcasts. And we do so every day, actually, through different means of podcasting. We encourage you, as you listen to these lessons, share them with other people in your life. Help them turn their lives around, grow stronger in their faith, come to God. You may help somebody get to heaven. What a great blessing that will be for them, but it will also be a great blessing for you. Faith comes by hearing the word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. So help other people grow in their faith. Share through Facebook friends, text messages, other technological means with your family members, friends, work associates, neighbors, with literally everybody you can all the time. You may help somebody ultimately get to heaven. What a great blessing that will be, but also not just for them, but also for you. We also encourage you to tell others to go to our website at churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com. Click on the podcast button and sign up for our podcasting. It is free. It always will be free. And when somebody signs up for our podcasting, they will automatically receive to their smart device, whether that's their phone or computer or laptop or tablet or pad or whatever it might be, they'll automatically receive our Wednesday night Bible class, our Sunday morning Bible class, all of our sermons, and our Monday through Friday daily radio program, Search the Scriptures, and a seven-day-a-week short Bible study, only about 13 or 14 minutes long each day called Today's Bible Class. What a great opportunity. What great resource uh, materials are available for those who want to stay in God's Word. They can also access in our website hundreds of sermons and also hundreds of scripturally-based and spiritually-focused articles. And again, all of it is free. All of it is free and always will be free. We keep saying we're not after people's wallets. We want to help as many people as we can get to heaven. We're going to get back into our study from 1 John. We left off with chapter 2. We've gone all the way through the first 10 verses, well, the, the 10 verses of the first chapter. And again, John's letter here is very rich in teaching. As we've talked about, some people might think of and maybe have called or referred to John the Apostle as the Apostle of Love. When you go back into his gospel account of Jesus' life and ministry on this earth, he talked about love there. Uh, 
a good deal. In this first letter of his that is inspired, guided by God, he wrote this down, he really focuses on love. He focuses on the love that God has for us and we ought to have for him. But he also, he connects that love for God, our love for God, with our required love for our brothers and sisters in Christ, our fellow Christians, true Christians. And we'll see that a great deal as we move on. And there's quite emphasis along that line. Now, chapter 1, the first few verses, the first four verses, John establishes his credentials to be writing this particular letter. He's saying, hey, now of course we know he was an apostle, an divinely appointed apostle of Jesus Christ. But in these first few verses, he emphasizes repeatedly, I'm writing this not from a second-hand or third-hand or fourth-hand or fifth-hand perspective. I'm not, I'm not writing something that I heard somebody tell me who heard it from somebody else who was told something by somebody else who saw somebody who told them that. <laughs> you know, that's really roundabout kind of, of information. John repeatedly says in these first few verses of chapter 1, I was with Jesus personally in his very presence. I saw him with my own eyes. I heard him speak with my own ears. I touched him with my own hands. I was there with him. I am a firsthand on-the-scene witness of Jesus having been here and through his ministry. So he's writing with great understanding, but also with great authority. Of course, God guided him through the Holy Spirit to write what he wrote. Peter talked about that, how no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of private interpretation, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so in, that's in Second Peter chapter 1 and, and verse 21. So certainly John was guided by God through the Holy Spirit to write what he wrote here, and the Apostle Paul affirms that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is God's very word. So John wasn't writing down just a bunch of good ideas out of his own head. He was writing God's very word here. But not only that, testifying, hey, I've been guided by God to write his very word here, but he says, also, I was there with Jesus personally on the scene through his ministry on this earth. And so he speaks with great authority. Now, then we noted in, in verses 5 through 10, where John talks about how God is absolutely righteous, absolutely, totally good. There is nothing ungodly. There is none, nothing sinful. There is nothing unrighteous. There is nothing wicked about him. He is goodness personified, righteousness personified. And John makes the point with emphasis that if we say that we're walking with God, that we're in fellowship with God, but we're living in sin, he says, not only do we not, are we not in fellowship with God, are we not walking in fellowship with him, but he says we're lying. The truth is not in us. And he concludes the last few verses 
in verse 9 in particular, he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we need to keep our spiritual eyes open and our spiritual mind and gear to recognize when we do cross the line, when we do make a mistake and commit a sin, then recognize it, confess that to God, and ask for his forgiveness through prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. And God is ready to forgive us. Remember what the Apostle Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. God is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Again, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. Now let's pick up with, verse two, uh, with chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. John goes on and he says, My little children, it's interesting, the personal relationship that we can feel with our brothers and sisters in Christ by being within the family of God with them, they are truly our brothers and sisters in Christ. When we're baptized into Christ for the remission of our sins, Acts 2 in verse 38, Acts 22 in verse 16, then God adopts us into his family. Galatians chapter 4, Romans chapter 8. We become his true children at that point. And so we become a part of the body of Christ, the church. The Lord himself adds us to his church as we come to salvation through him. Acts 2 in verse 47. And so as children of God, as the body of Christ, we have brothers and sisters. All the rest of those who are true children of God, who are true Christians, they are our brothers and sisters all over the world, wherever the church is. So John addresses these Christians, and of course it would be addressed to us as well, those to whom he was initially writing this letter, but because it is God's word, it is also written to us. And so in that very personal and familyhood kind of identification, he begins chapter 2 by saying, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now, interesting. And this is where or one of the examples of where translating from one language to another, yeah, it, it, it has its inequities to some extent. There are not exact equivalents for every word from one language as it's translated into another language. A classic example, the New Testament was written in Greek, primarily. Koine Greek a form of Greek that is no longer spoken commonly. There were several different words in the Koine Greek that simply get translated, in essence, as love into English. But every one of those specific words in the Greek had a specific meaning as to a specific kind of love, whereas we have one word, love, 
Now we have some some similar similar words that can refer to the general idea in some cases, like compassion, but they had different words that basically translate into the English as love, but that one word in the English does not convey all of the different meanings of those several different Greek words that communicate a certain kind of love or degree of love. When we come to this second chapter, and really the first chapter also has this trait or characteristic, when John says, I write these things to you so that you may not sin, a lot of people, I'm afraid, have come away saying, well, I'm done for. I have sinned. Even after I became a Christian, I committed sin or I committed some sins. What is not conveyed, again, adequately into the English translation is the Greek verb there that indicates, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. The idea there is the, the, the tense of the Greek verb is so that you will not keep on living a lifestyle of sinfulness. Now, a lot of people have become Christians, and they might have felt sincere at the point of being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, but they did not have the real commitment that followed through with that change in their life. And so they almost immediately, I say almost immediately, within, in some cases, within just a few days, in other cases, maybe within a few weeks or months, they went back into a lifestyle of sin. John is saying, I write these things to you by way of instruction, by way of encouragement, by way of assurance, also by way of warning and chastisement, that you don't keep sinning, that you don't keep living a lifestyle of sinfulness. Now, are you going to sin? Are you going to make a mistake along, somewhere along the way, here and there, now and then? Sure. That's what he was referring to back in chapter 1, verses 8 and 10. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Verse 8. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Shortly, in chapter 2, he's going to say the same thing. Now, he's writing this to Christians. So he's saying, All right, even you as Christians, you still make mistakes here and there. You still sin. But there's a difference in trying your best, making that commitment. I, I am committed to live my life in faithfulness to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and to my, and to my God and Father, my, the creator of the universe, the creator of hum, humankind, my God. I'm, I'm committed to living my life for them. But we're human beings. We, in our physical form, we, yeah, we, we struggle at times. And we have our weaknesses, our moments of weakness. And so from time to time, even as a faithful, dedicated, committed Christian, we still make mistakes. We still commit some sins. But that's different from living a lifestyle of sinfulness. And a whole lot of people are living that kind of a lifestyle. Now, it may take various forms of sinfulness, but they're living a lifestyle of sinfulness. 
And so that's what John is warning against here. Now, is he saying, hey, it's all right to make a, to commit a sin here or there or now and then? No, of course he's not saying that. <clears throat> but he's already addressed that reality back in chapter 1. So what he's saying here is, first and foremost, you don't continue to live in sinfulness. Let not your lifestyle be characterized by ongoing sinfulness in your lifestyle. Now, some people might be saying, well, I'm still not sure I understand what you're talking about here. All right, let me give you a classic example, one that we can relate to easily. You got a whole lot of couples, men and women, they come together. They live as though they're married. They live together. They have sexual relationships together. They live in the same house or apartment. They raise children together. And that goes on for years and years and years, but they never get married. They're living in fornication, a state of sexual fornication, immorality before God and really before the world around them. That's a lifestyle of sinfulness. They can try to explain it away. They can try to sugarcoat it as much as they want and say, oh, well, we, you know, we don't need a, you know, a piece of paper to show that we're married. We're really committed to each other. We really love each other. We think of each other as husband and wife. So my follow-up question is, then why don't you go ahead and get married, make it legal? Then you have the stammering and the stuttering, or maybe the outright silence, because you see, they don't really want to get married, at least not both of them. They're not really committed fully to each other. Otherwise, they'd go ahead and get married. But they want one or the other or both of them have left the door open for a way out with all, without all of the legal entanglements of having to go through a divorce proceeding. See, people say one thing, they do something else all the time. What about a person who their vocabulary is laced constantly with vulgarity and profanity. They'll even use God's name in vain and in profane and vulgar ways, so disrespectful, and the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the same way. And yet they may say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. I love, I love God. I'm, 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 I have so much faith in God. You're not showing it. You're living a lifestyle of sinfulness. And you can't do that and still be walking with God in fellowship with him on a consistent basis. That goes back to chapter 1 again. Verse uh, verse, uh, 6, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, that is the darkness of sinfulness, that's our lifestyle. John says we lie and do not practice the truth. And so here in verse 1 of chapter 2, John says, my little children, these things I write to you, I'm, I'm giving you instruction here. Take it to heart. Make the proper applications to your life. I write to you so that you may not sin. You may not continue to live in sinfulness. And if anyone sins, okay, you make a mistake here and there, now and then, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now, that word advocate, identifying Christ in that way, it's, we would most closely relate to that in our language and culture today as 
it, it, it's like one pleading our case before a judge. God being the judge, the ultimate judge, and Jesus being our, you could think of him almost as an attorney, but the word advocate may not be exactly that, I know, but he's pleading our case before the Father. He's our go-between. And through him, we can be forgiven when we do make those mistakes here and there along the way, now and then. And verse 2, when it says he himself is the propitiation for our sins, well, that goes back to to Romans chapter 3 again. And Romans chapter 3, when Paul is talking about in verse 23 that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, well, then he follows that up in Romans chapter 3. In verse uh, 24, he says, being justified freely by the grace through by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 25, he says, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Well, what does that word propitiation mean? Christ has been set forth by God the Father as the propitiation for our sins. The substitute is one way you can understand that. He died on the cross in our place. He did not deserve to be on that cross. He lived not only eternally sinless in heaven, but he lived physically in this world, sinless. But he gave his life on that cross to pay the price for the guilt of our sins. He did not deserve to be on that cross. We deserve to be on that cross. But he died in our place. He substituted for us so that we, through his righteousness, as we come to him in repentance and seeking forgiveness by being baptized into him, the blood that he shed on the cross cleanses us from the guilt of our sins at that point. So through his righteousness, as we come to him, we can be counted righteous by God. He took our place in dying in our place on that cross. So God has set him forth as the propitiation for our sins. And not just for ours, John says, writing to Christians there, those who have already been forgiven through the blood of Christ, but for the whole world. Jesus did not come as the Savior of a select group of people in this world or just in one generation, but he came to be the Savior of all mankind in every generation, even those going all the way back to Adam before he came to this world in physical form, but also all of those who have lived since Jesus ascended back to heaven and until he comes again on the final day of judgment. So he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. In verse three, John goes on and he says, now by this, we know that we know him if we keep his commandments, if we keep his commandments. That's the way that we can know for sure that we are really 
walking with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and our God and Father, if we're living by their teachings. Later in John's second letter, 2 John chapter 1 and verse 9, he says, whoever transgresses and does not abide in or live in the doctrine, the teaching of Christ, does not have God. But he who abides in, lives by those teachings, has both the Father and the Son. So here in chapter 2 and verse 3, he says, by this we know that we know him. How can I know that I know God? How can I know that I'm walking with him? If we keep his commandments, if I'm living by his teachings. In John 14 and verse 15, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And then he went on and repeated it in verse 21, again in verse 23. In verse 4 here in 1 John chapter 2, John goes on and says, he who says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. That's a repetition or or a reiteration of what he said back in chapter 1 in verse 6, in verse 8, in verse 10. And now he said it again here in chapter 2 and verse 4. No pulling punches here. No beating around the bush. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. How do we know that we are in Christ? How do we know that we're in fellowship with God, walking in fellowship consistently? Because we keep his commandments. And if we keep his commandments, we can, hey, I'm doing, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm being obedient. I'm walking with my Lord thereby. I can be confident that I'm in fellowship, walking in fellowship with God. This is called faithfulness. Faith is my personal belief in God and in Jesus. My faithfulness is my walking throughout the rest of my life in obedience to their teachings. In 1 John chapter 5, in verse 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him, by living by his commandments. 1 John chapter 2, in verse 5. We're going to stop here. We'll come back and pick up with verse 6 next time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the clarity of your word, for making it easy for us to understand, and for giving us your word to guide us in a lifestyle of faithfulness and obedience and dedication to you on a consistent basis. Help us to help others see that you have made the way for them to be forgiven, to be saved, and you have given them a roadmap to live by for the rest of their lives that will lead them to heaven if they will live by that roadmap, your word. Please forgive us, gracious Father, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.